Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this time that we can come together, God, just to study your word, to learn more about you, about your heart. And God, uh, I just ask that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts. God, we thank you for uh, this book that we're about to study. And uh, Lord, may we just uh, take the lessons that we learned from this book and, and take it out into the world. And God, just share your message of, of grace with uh, everyone that we meet. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, Scott told Larry and I that he wasn't going to be here this week. So he said, somebody can take Wednesday and somebody can take Sunday. And by then he's going to be done with Isaiah. So you can pretty much do whatever you want. So I said, all right, <laughs> I'm going to do whatever I want. That's a dangerous preset to tell me that I could do whatever I want. But, uh, you know, within reason now, I guess, so we're, we're, gonna, we're still going to study the Bible. So it's, it's, we're just going to not be so traditional right now, okay? Because usually at, when we're done with the Old Testament, what we do? We go to a New Testament. And quite honestly, I don't even remember what book we're supposed to go to next. Huh? Gal Galatians? Colossians. Colossians. Uh, we're not going to do that. We're going to stick with the Old Testament because I was told I could do whatever I wanted. And uh, I'm not, I, I'm a simple guy, right? So it's not like I, I'm, I don't have like these deep theological uh, ideas or, or thoughts uh, most of the time. Uh, so I go, okay, well, what did I learn in Sunday school as a child, right? Because that's how my brain thinks. So I'm going to, Jonah. Jonah is one of those things that we learn as a child. And Jonah is one of those books that I feel like you could really easily just kind of skim over because we've all had that lesson in Sunday school. It's like, oh, Jonah, the guy with the big fish. And yeah, he ran away from God. Yeah, we know the entire thing. We don't even really need to deeply study it. I learned that back in school. In VBS, we walked into a mouth of this giant fake fish and it was awesome. I remember that lesson. So, you know, there's really no, no reason to, to go in depth. So I thought, okay, this will be a nice, easy study that we could do, and I could do it probably all in one day, because like I said, we all know Jonah. And then I started reading the book of Jonah. And I was like, oh no, this, this isn't happening in one day. And, and I started listening to other pastors, and, and I realized that even other pastors, I saw one pastor took eight weeks to go through this. The, the, the book of Jonah is only four chapters long, and he took eight, eight weeks to get through that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do it in two, okay? So uh, there's a couple things that we need to know about Jonah before we get started in the book of Jonah, okay? Uh, first of all, it is a relatively short book, four chapters, a complete total of 48 verses. Now, one would think that we could get through Jonah in one week with only 48 verses in the entire book, but there is so much meat involved in this. There's so much that we can glean uh, from just the life of Jonah, right? Now, the second thing that I want to uh, kind of bring forth to us is that the book of Jonah is not necessarily about Jonah. The book of Jonah is not about a great fish or a great whale. The book of Jonah is not even about the people of Nineveh who get saved. 
All those are in the book of Jonah, but the book of Jonah is more about God's grace. And I think that we could easily retitle the book of Jonah, God's grace. But then again, we could probably rename just about every book of the Bible, God's grace, right? The, the book of the Bible should just be called God's grace. It's just the book of God's grace. But here in, in the book of Jonah, we're going to learn about not just uh, God's grace as a whole, but how God prepares things to set his grace in action, right? And sometimes those things don't look like they're pleasant. Sometimes those things look downright scary, but we know that in the end, we're still seeing God's grace and God's plan for grace in action. So the, the tough thing about Jonah is that it is among a few of these books that people try to delegitimize. Genesis is one of those books, and we learn about that uh, all the time. It's like, oh, Genesis can't be, real. well, the, you know, uh, God didn't really uh, create the world in seven days. Those aren't seven literal days. There's like thousands of years that he calls a day or, or whatever, right? But that's not, that's, we know that that's not true because we take the Bible very, very literally. There are some prophets, uh, the uh, book of prophets, where uh, they, say, they try to delegitimize and say, well, they couldn't have possibly uh, actually known all that. It was some other person who wrote that and gave credit to, uh, say, like an Isaiah or uh, uh, like a Daniel or, you know, they, they, some, somebody else is giving them credit. And, you know, but that's not true either, right? So we can already say that Jonah is another one that they try to delegitimize. Why? Because it's so incredibly fanciful. You got this oh, a giant fish, and they're very stuck on the giant fish swallowing Jonah. You know, and honestly, that's it's not really the like I said, it's it's not what the book is about. But they're so stuck on that that they want to delegitimize that. That can never actually happen. Uh, or maybe it's just uh, in the Bible. It's just really a parable more than uh, a literal story. That's what, the, that's what people will try to tell you. But we know that it's real. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself makes reference to himself as Jonah, right? In the book of Matthew twelve thirty nine, he says, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay, so we know that Jonah's got to be real. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself claims that Jonah is real. But, you know, you'll still have some critics that'll go, well, you know, Jesus, he tended to speak in parables. He, tend, he tended to talk, uh, uh, you know, uh, in stories so that people would understand better, right? So while he is making reference to Jonah, Jonah could still be a parable, right? Well, here's this. I, I found this uh, in my studies. Jonah is also mentioned. If you don't want to take Jesus Christ's word for it, which I strongly suggest you do, there is actually a book of records in the Bible, and it's Kings. In this case, it's Second Kings. And Jonah's name is actually mentioned in the book of Second Kings uh, 14, verse 25. And this is what it says. He, and we're talking about Jeroboam here, restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. 
So he's mentioned in another Old Testament book, and it seems like it's kind of in passing. And one could even argue, oh, well, is this the same Jonah that we're talking about? Because, uh, well, we know that Simon Peter's dad's name was Jonah, but that's not the same Jonah here, right? So there could be lots of other different Jonas, except that he mentions Jonah's dad's name, right? He's the son of Amittai. And if we go to Jonah, verse 1 of the book, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, right? So if you didn't want to believe Jesus Christ thought that Jonah was a real person or he was just speaking in a parable, you can't anymore because Jonah is actually written down in an actual book of records that we still have in the Bible. So, so there's no way that we can, that we can now delegitimize Jonah. We can actually say this is an actual story. It is a story that actually took place and we can learn actual lessons from Jonah's life. So let's get started. Now we've read uh, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up from before me. Now Nineveh is a big city. It's the capital of the Assyrian empire. And we know it was a large city. Even God says it's a great city. And when God says it's a great city, he doesn't mean that it's awesome and wonderful to go to. Uh, He says it's a large city. So we're thinking a city uh, in today's standards, it would be more like a New York city or maybe even a Hong Kong. I mean, we're talking that big, right? Uh, And Generally, when you see cities that big, I don't want to make a broad statement. This is going to be a broad brush statement, but you're going to find a lot more wickedness uh, in these kind of cities. And that's definitely true here of, of Nineveh. Uh, I mean, this is the reason we can't say that God doesn't say it's an awesome place. He says it's a wicked place. The wickedness of Nineveh goes beyond the wickedness that we might see today. Now, we can look at our world today and kind of go, it's wicked and it's growing more wicked every single day. Who, who can, and can uh, actually take a stance of um, uh, killing children and not call that wicked? Right? That's, and that's where we're going to. And that's where a lot of the world is going to anyway. It's, it's wicked that we see uh, kids being killed. Murder is wicked. Theft is wicked. All these things are wicked. And this, these are things that we can see today. But we're not seeing them in the scope that was Nineveh. Nineveh could care less. Right? Nineveh, and, and I don't want to get too graphic here because there are some kids. But they're, they're, Nineveh had a place where, I mean... If somebody killed another man and that man just laid in the street, nobody's going to pick that dude up. People are literally walking over corpses in the street because nobody cares. I mean, we are talking wicked. And I can't even, honestly, that's just like one example of wicked. I can't even get into uh, like how wicked Nineveh was. Nineveh was extremely awful. So why would God want to send a prophet Jonah to a place that's so incredibly wicked? Why not just do what he did to the entire earth when it became wicked? And, and, or maybe do to, uh, to Nineveh what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Why not just destroy the city? and just go, okay, we're done with that. Let's start over, right? Why not do that? Why send Jonah? I think that if we were to look at 2 Peter 3, 9, that could shed a little bit of light on why. 
And so you don't have to turn there. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, if our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the only conclusion we could come to from what Peter says is that he was the same God back then too. So I can, I can honestly say, I think that God just wanted to see all of his people come to repentance, even if they were that wicked. We just want to see, God just loves his creation. God loves his creation, and he just wants to see them uh, come to repentance and have a relationship with him, right? Now, we can live in our, our little bubbles, and we can live in our society, uh, and we can go, well, we're not that bad, but it does not make us any less wicked, okay? And we can all say, oh yeah, there's no good person. There's no good person. No, not one. And we all know that. But, you know, when we start to examine our personal lives and realize how wicked that we can be, I can, honestly, I can see it uh, just in my interactions with my wife and my kids. I can get so incredibly wicked. I can get, uh, angry. And, you know, what's, what's Jesus say about anger is like, it's like murder, right? So I can honestly say that I've been, uh, you know, I could be accused of like killing my wife and kids. I've been that angry, right? Um, now, obviously, physically, that's not true. But in the eyes of the Lord, what's the difference, really, right? Um, and we can all, we've all seen the videos of, I think it's Ray Comfort who asks uh, random people, all these series, like, have you ever lied? Have you ever uh, thought about a, a woman with lust in your eyes? And we can all say, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's me. I've done that. I am wicked. And that's the point that he usually tries to make. I'm wicked, right? But if we take this lesson that we're learning, that God would send somebody to, to an e, as place as evil as Nineveh just to see them come to repentance, then we have hope. We have hope that he is always going to seek after us and, and always draw us to repentance to him. And our, our wickedness our wickedness can cause destruction, right? It can, like, we can be so wicked that we would hurt ourselves or hurt those around us, but God is always going to give us a way out, just like he would give the people of Nineveh a way out by sending Jonah, right? It, it, call him to repentance. God wants to see us, and God's always going to give us a way out of our wickedness and just to come to him. And we already see here in the second verse of the book of Jonah, we already see God's plan of action for his own grace. His own grace is being set up. So let's see how that plays out. Verse 3. But Jonah, <laughs> but Jonah. Oh, man. That's, that's, that's almost discouraging right now. So, oh, here's God's grace. His plan is in action. Verse 3. Here we go. But Jonah. Oh, he doesn't agree. He arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now one might go, why would Jonah flee? Why would he do this? I mean, yeah, the people of Nineveh were wicked, but um, we actually just... Uh, concurred that Jonah was recorded in the second, uh, second Kings, right? And he was talking to Jeroboam. Well, what I didn't tell you, it was like the verse right before that, God says Jeroboam did 
what was evil in the Lord's sight, right? So it's not like Jonah has not ever dealt with evil or wicked people. He's dealt with evil or wicked people. Uh, at least he dealt with a king, and a king has the ability to uh, hurt, kill, or put in jail uh, somebody that he doesn't agree with or like. So why, why run from the Lord when he's being told to go to Nineveh and deal with all these wicked people? Now, there is, uh, it's probably a greater fear because of the number of people. Uh, we'll learn, I think it's in chapter three, uh, it's, it's like 123,000 people who are wicked versus maybe one king. I mean, there could be a little bit of fear. Um, uh, obviously, he's, there's a fear of being mocked or made fun of. That's the least that can happen. Uh, but there's probably a big fear of just being attacked or killed. Again, we can't really, like we can look at Jonah and kind of go, oh, Jonah, you know, uh, hindsight's 2020. And it's, oh, you know what, <laughs> how many of us could say, if we had been there, uh, we probably would have done things differently, right? But let's think about this for a minute. I mentioned the city of Hong Kong. Now, China, number one, I don't want to criticize China too awful much because China has one of the largest underground churches in the world, and it's a, it's a fantastic place uh, if you want to grow. And, and, and those Christians, by the way, oh, there's so much, like, I don't know, I, I, mean, I won't say they're better than American Christians, but they, I think they have a better understanding of God's grace for sure, because they've had to suffer through a whole bunch, right? So I'm not going to trash on the underground church of China, but if you were to go on the streets of Hong Kong and just start telling everybody that they need to repent and they need to come to Jesus, chances are you're going to get mocked. You're going to get made fun of. And because you're in China, there's a good chance that you're going to go to prison, right? And in prison, you may be tortured, right? Who knows what, I don't know what the, the, the limits are over there. I've never gone over there. And quite frankly, I think that I would be a little afraid to go to Hong Kong. Heck, <laughs> sometimes I'm afraid to go to work, <laughs> right? Uh, there's like 12 guys that I work with. And this is like, if God told me to share the gospel with those 12 guys, I'd like, man, they're going to make fun of me. No, they're not. They're probably not going to punch me or anything, but I don't want to deal with that. I, I, you know, and guess what? I'm running from the Lord. I'm running from the Lord. If I argue with that, I'm running from the Lord. So uh, I, can't, I can't give Jonah too much of a hard time because I see a lot of myself in Jonah. Now, the other reason that Jonah might flee is because while Jonah had a heart for the Lord, he didn't have a heart of the Lord. So what I mean by that is that he didn't really want to see the Ninevites saved. He didn't want to see them come to repentance. And we're going to learn that in the later chapters. But, but already we can see the start. Like, I don't, why? I don't want to, I don't want to see this. They, they're evil. I mean, get, think of it like this. I don't want to, I don't want to, this might be a little bit touchy for some of us. Okay. But let's bring ourselves back to about a month after 9-11. All right. Bring ourselves back to about a month after 9-11. We kind of have an idea of who caused the attacks in the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, Florida, or that other plane, flight six, I can't remember. Um, and now we understand that, oh, there's this guy named bin Laden and a whole group called ISIS. And what if the Lord told us that we needed to go to bin Laden and say, you need to repent and turn and, and go to Jesus, right? Now, there's a fear of being killed. It's bin Laden, right? 
But then there's also this like, that's, to us, it's not even justice, right? I mean, you and your group killed like thousands of our people. Like, I don't necessarily want to see you get saved. I want to see you dead. Who's, like, honestly, if we're back in that time and our emotions are already high, who can really, who is really going to argue with that? Like, how many of us didn't think that? Like, genuinely, I, 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 I'll admit, I was like, yeah, kill the guy. He deserves it, right? So, so there's, I, again, I see myself in Jonah because there's a lot of anger and a lot of hate towards these people that uh, if they're that evil to one another, you know they were that evil to the people of Israel as well. So how often do we find ourselves fleeing from the Lord? If we're angry and we don't want to see somebody else get saved, right? Uh, I'll tell you this, uh, full disclosure, full transparency. My wife and I, we fight. We fight sometimes. We argue, right? And 9.9 times out of 10, it's my fault, right? It's my fault. And I will, I, will, I will start something. And man, even if I'm wrong, I will stick to my guns in my wrongness. Because doggone it, you're making me angry. And, and you know what? I'll be wrong. And maybe even in the midst of a fight, God will be like, hey, dude, you need to calm down. And you need to humble yourself. And you need to apologize. But I won't do it. Instead, what I will do is I'll build up my little emotional wall and I will have no emotion whatsoever towards her, right? I'll do that. And then maybe if I'm even mad enough, I'll go out to the garage or I'll get in my car and I'll drive away, right? I'm driving away because I just don't want to deal with this right now. I'm running away from the Lord, right? I'm running away from the Lord. I've done it. And... Um, I think a lot of us have, and we just, uh, we need to recognize when we're actually running from the Lord. It's not always just a physical run like what Jonah had, but it's, it's, our, it's in our heart as well. And even uh, when we do that, uh, the Lord still wants to call us back, right? I said, uh, I, have, I work with like, I don't know, I said 12 guys, maybe it's like 20. Maybe sometimes the Lord will call me to uh, talk to them about the Lord. And maybe I'm embarrassed or ashamed, or maybe I don't know what happens. I'm getting a lot better about it now. People know who I am, and so I have no qualms with saying, uh, yeah, I believe the Lord, and this is what the Lord's done for me, right? Uh, so, so uh, but there was a time when I'd be afraid to do that. and be like, you need to talk to them about the Lord. I don't know if I can do that right now. I don't, you know, it's running away in my heart. Like, I, it's like, I'm not going to do that. It's being stubborn. It's being, it's being just uh, building a wall and, and going the complete opposite of what God is telling, telling us to do. But when God calls us to talk to other people about the Lord, he's being serious, right? He was serious when it was come to Jonah. And he's going to be serious when it comes to us. After all, we do have that calling. God does call us to do that. In Matthew 28, 19, 20, he says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I wish Jonah had been able to read that one. <laughs> right? He's like, I am with you always. 
Jonah's trying to run away from the Lord, and he didn't have the Matthew scripture at that time, but um, maybe Psalms, Psalms 139 comes to mind. Uh, where can I go from your spirit? Uh, where, uh, where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea... Even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me. All right? He's a man of God. It probably should have been in his head somewhere that there is no place that he can go where God isn't there. There's no place he can go where God's not already there. You know, he's already there. But he tries to flee from the Lord. Verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Now, people will ask, why do bad things happen? And, and they usually follow that up with, to good people. But we've already established that we're all pretty much wicked, right? So why do bad things happen? And there's a number of different reasons why bad things could happen. But there's one reason in particular that I'm drawn to, right? Because sometimes bad things happen just so that we will be drawn back into the presence of the Lord, right? Sometimes God sets a storm. We see God set a storm here. It's not just a storm kind of happened and God let it. God made the storm. And God made the storm just in an effort to have Jonah turn and repent and say, oh, I got I to do something else, right? So sometimes when bad things happen, we can't just go, oh, that's the devil. The devil's doing this now. He's, he's really dragging me down. Sometimes bad things happen just so that we will come to the Lord. That's all that he wants. He just come to the Lord. So... Verse 5, the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. I like, I like this thing where the mariners, um, they're crying out to their own God. First of all, these guys, this is their profession. They're sailors, right? So if they're afraid, you know something is wrong, right? Sailors are, um, they're notoriously superstitious, right? Notoriously superstitious. And so these guys are, are trying to figure out what to, I'm going to pray to my God. There's got to be a reason. And they each have their own God that they pray to, right? So I, it made me kind of wonder, because I want to kind of relate the, even the Old Testament stories to how we live today, when we are facing a storm and we don't turn back to Jesus, who do we turn to? What do we turn to? What God do we pray to? For some people, when we face a storm, they go to alcohol. Now, alcohol is not going to necessarily make things better. It might make you forget for five minutes or so. I don't know. Uh, some people will go to entertainment. That's my thing. I will go to entertainment. If I'm, if I'm facing a storm and I just want to forget about what's going on, I will sit my butt down in my recliner and I will watch hours of TV. Not even movies anymore. And man, the shorter, the shorter videos get, the more I watch. I don't know if anybody else has experienced that. Like we used to just sit down and watch like two hour long movies, right? And, but now it's like, I feel like, ugh, I don't want to sit down and watch a two hour movie. 
but I'll watch three seasons of The Office, <laughs> right? Like, I'll, I'll sit down for hours and watch The Office, and, and oh, wait, now everybody's got these home videos that were, oh, I could do Facebook video and just keep scrolling through videos, or uh, uh, TikTok is another one. Man, I got, I got on TikTok for a little bit, man. But you, so, you just scroll on TikTok, and you, you'd be surprised how many hours you just sit, sit scrolling through TikTok. That's my, oh my gosh, that's my God I'm going to. Entertainment, right? So some people go to work. Oh, I'm in a storm. I got to fix this somehow. I got to go. I, I know if I just get to work and, and it'll take my mind off the storm and then and maybe the, the harder I work, the more money that I can get. I can fix this problem myself. I can do this myself. I don't need the Lord. I, work is my God right now. That's who I'm going to go to. Some people will just go to other people. I don't need. I don't need to go to God. I'm going to go to. I'm going to go to my friend's house, and we'll talk about it. And and I'll get some advice from my friend because uh, you know they know more than the Lord, right? It's not true. I'm just. I'm just going to put that there. That's not. It's not true. So these guys are all praying to their gods, and it's not doing anything because their gods didn't even create the storm in the first place. So what are they doing? But at least they're trying right? What's Jonah doing? Jonah's sleeping. Jonah goes down into the, into, into the bottom of the ship, and he just sleeps. And, you know, he's, he's, um, he's going into a place where he's honestly hoping that nobody's going to bother him to sleep. Here, all these other guys are, are being, you know, they're trying their hardest to keep the ship together and, and to not die, and Jonah is just sleeping. Now, some people, uh, I, I read one commentator say that why, how could Jonah even sleep at a time like that? And, and they made the, the argument that perhaps the storm that was in Jonah's heart because of his running away from the Lord far outweighed the storm that was around them in the ship, right? So comparatively speaking, it was all like, what else are you going to do, right? But here's the, the nature of, um, of Jonah's sleep is also pretty instructive to each one of us. And we can glean a lot from just the fact that he fell asleep. He's, here's a man of God who fell asleep. How many sleeping Christians do we have in our church today, especially in this nation, right? So I'm just going to read off a couple of things uh, that, are, that we can glean from. Jonah, as I said, slept in a place where no one would see him or disturb him. And a sleeping, careless Christian in our church today, they like to, to hide out, right? And where are they going to hide out? They're going to hide out in the church. Why? Because no, there's not a lot of people out there who's going to come into the church to look for you, right? Not a lot of people are going to do that. So he's hiding out, and then we have a tendency to hide out. We need to, we need to be more um, aware if we're trying to hide out in a church. Now, I'm not saying anybody here is. Uh, I would never accuse anybody here. We have a really great group here. But, you know, maybe check your own heart, Right? Jonah slept in a place where he could not help with the work that needed to be done. Sleeping Christians will tend to stay away from the work of the Lord. Now, here's all these guys trying everything. I said they're throwing cartons over. I mean, surely Jonah could have had a hand in some of that, but he, he's not going to. And sleeping Christians will also, they'll try to stay away 
from anything that has to do with the Lord's work. Jonah slept. Uh, this, one's, this one's pretty convicting to me. Jonah slept while there was a prayer meeting going on. Everybody else is praying to their own gods. Jonah is not, right? Sleeping Christians don't like prayer meetings. Now, that's convicting to me because oftentimes my wife will say, hey, let's go to a prayer meeting. I'm like, I don't want to go to a prayer meeting. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't want to do that. You know? And now every time I have that thought, I have to go, whoa, am I asleep right now? Do I care about what's going on right now? Why wouldn't I want to go to the Lord? What? Why? Well, that doesn't mean I'm probably asleep, right? Jonah slept and had no idea of the problems around him. Sleeping Christians don't know what is really going on. And we'll see that in the church today too. Uh, and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm probably guilty of almost all of these things. Like we have, we have a number of people in our church here. Uh, I'm not sure I can tell you what's going on in every single one of your lives. Uh, do I know that there's stuff going on in every one of your lives? Sure. But I may not know it. And you know what? There's a lot of other people in a lot of other churches that have no clue about what the, the people around them are going through. And quite frankly, don't care. It's a sleeping Christian. Jonah slept when he was in great danger. Sleeping Christians are in danger and don't know it. You know, the Bible, Larry referred to this last Wednesday, that the Satan roams around the earth to and fro like a roaring lion, just waiting to devour, right? As a sleeping Christian, we have to be aware of this. Because have you ever seen a lion devour, let's just say like an antelope or a deer, okay? A deer or an antelope. If you watch, and obviously we're probably, I don't think any of us have been on safari and actually seen this in real life, but we could see this on National Geographic or we could see this on TV. We see how, uh, first of all, you notice the stature of the deer or the antelope. They are jumpy, right? They, they, they are on alert at all times. Why? Because they know that there's probably a lion somewhere that's waiting to devour them. So they're on high alert all times, right? What happens if there's a, a, a deer that's not paying attention, that's kind of careless, right? It's just kind of this. Now, if the lion doesn't just walk right up to it, no. That lion sneaks in, stays low to the ground, is almost hidden, right, until the very last moment. Now, we can see this in our, our lives today, and the best way that we can see this is through entertainment, social media. Uh, we, can, we can look at this and kind of go, oh, more and more people are saying that, oh, this is normal. Oh, this is how we should be living. This, oh, okay, because, because there's a lot more people doing this now. Oh, there's a lot more people saying that this is okay to do. Okay, so it must be okay to do. We're asleep because we're busy watching this, and we're not even realizing the danger that we are setting ourselves up for, right? It's all around, and Satan is just like that lion waiting to devour us, but he's not just going to show himself. He's hiding until the very last minute. We have to be aware. We have to stay uh, alert. Jonah slept while the heathen needed him. Sleeping Christians snooze on while the world needs their message and testimony. 
a sleeping Christian, we could come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. It'd be just fine. The world needs our message. And honestly, that's what the church is here to do is to equip each one of us to go out in the world and share the message of God's grace. But yeah, if we're asleep, maybe we daydream while I'm talking up here, right? Oh, we're just going to kind of drift away. And then, you know, when, the, when we leave, we'll uh, hit the China buffet or something, whatever. And then uh, somebody needs a, a word. Uh, guess what? I don't have a word because I, was, I wasn't really paying attention. I was sleeping, right? Uh, if you need a word, I don't even realize that you need a word right now because I'm too busy sleeping, not paying attention. The world needs us, and they, they, need, they need our testimony. It's, it's really easy to, to share stories. It's, honestly, it's really easy to share the story of Jonah. We all know it, right? We know at least the, the footnotes of Jonah. But people want more than that. They want to know what God's doing in our lives. That's why we share our testimony, right? And it's going to be a hard time to share our testimony if we're too busy sleeping, right? So share God's the good news uh, of God's grace in the Bible, share the good news of God's grace in our own lives as well. So we should be, be prepared, just be diligent to not be a sleeping Christian. Let's move on. Verse 7, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Now I already said that sailors are notoriously superstitious. I watch this show. Uh, I used to. I, I, I don't anymore because I can't find it. But uh, The Deadliest Catch. Has anybody seen The Deadliest Catch? Nobody's seen The Deadliest Catch? One. Okay. All right. So The Deadliest Catch, I, I love this show, right? It's great. It's, it's a bunch of sailors who are going out catching crab. And you know what? Every season is the same thing. It's like, hey, we're going to come together. We're going to catch some crab. Oh, uh, now we're going to go out and catch some crab. Oh, we're not catching any crab right now. But now we've hit the mother load. We've caught some crab. And now the show's over. You know, every season it's the same thing. And they've been doing it for like nine seasons. And I'm like, oh, maybe even more than that. I don't even know. But the, the, so, so it's the same premise every season. But there's also uh, this interesting thing that I get to see as well. It's like every sailor on there, the captain of the ship, they have their own uh, superstitious rituals that they go through, right? And uh, I, I don't know if this is true for all sailors across the board, uh, but this show definitely was. Just like, okay, oh, I got a bobblehead. I'm going to bounce that bobblehead. We're going to play a little pattern on my dashboard. We're going to stick my head out. We're going to shoot some fireworks off because that's going to bring us, what, good luck or something, right? So, you know, there's some superstitious things that happen. So these, these guys are kind of going, hey, we're in the storm, and we don't know what's going to happen. Um, we got to figure out who's, who's, the, who's to blame here, so let's cast lots. We'll cast lots, and we'll figure out who's to blame. And it just happens to fall on Jonah, right? Now, in this story, people have, a, people have a hard time with this whole thing about casting lots. It's not the only place in the Bible that we see lots being cast and seeing uh, how God kind of plays through the lots being cast, right? This is just one time, but there's a couple of different times where we see this in the Bible. And, and I'm just kind of amazed that people are so caught up on uh, the, the uh, how's the Lord going to use lots? Why is he even using lots? That's like gambling. We're not supposed to gamble. Yeah, it's like... 
well, it's, it's not, but let's, let's think about this. I mean, God caused a great uh, storm on the sea. Uh, God, we're going to read, prepares a big fish to swallow up Jonah. Uh, later on in the book, God prepares a plant. God prepares a, a God calms the sea after Jonah's thrown in. And yet we're caught up on casting lots. Like, God does all these great things, and we're all like, why is he casting lots? It doesn't make any sense. Let me tell you something. If God can control the wind and the waves, and God can control a great fish, God can control lots. And so, so I don't, don't get caught up on casting lots. Um, God's going to use it. God's, God's an amazing God, and he'll even use lots to show that. Verse 8, then they said to him, please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now, once these lots are cast and they find out that Jonah is most likely the cause for the storm, now they got a bunch of questions. They got, and, and it's legit that you, I mean, people will ask questions if you're, if you're, if they think that you're the reason there are questions to be asked and, and answers to be found out. So they want to find out anything and everything about him. And my, honestly, it's probably in an effort to try to solve the problem, right? Because they're going to ask what, here in a little bit, they're going to ask what, what, what can we do to stop the storm, right? They're just trying to find out how they could solve a problem that they can't solve, they were probably all men. That's what we tend to do. We just want to solve the problem, uh, even if we can't solve it ourselves, right? So in this little answer thing that Jonah gives to them, Jonah claims to fear the Lord. Now, yeah, he fears the Lord, but honestly, he's only partially correct, right? I, I feel like that he's only kind of telling the truth here, because if he really feared the Lord, if he really respected the Lord, he would have never run from him in the first place, right? Now, a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, this is the part right here where we see Jonah start to repent, and he's starting to, to uh, turn back to the Lord. I don't believe so, and, and I'll get to that part in a little bit. I don't think he's repenting here. He might be sorry. He might be sorry because he kind of got caught. How many of us ever get sorry because we got caught? Like, he, I think he's a little sorry because he got caught, but if he was really uh, respected the Lord with all his heart, he wouldn't have run. A simple claim of fearing the Lord uh, could also be, like I said, just a feeling of being sorry. So uh, to say repentance, repentance indicates an 180 degree turn. And we just haven't seen that from Jonah yet right? We've not seen him say, uh, I, I got to do something. I got to go back. I got to go back. We have not seen that claim from him. What do we see? Verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them he was at least honest with them. He said, yeah, I fear the Lord, but I, I, I'm, I'm fleeing the Lord. Then they said, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us, for the sea was growing more tempestuous. And why have you done this is a perfectly logical question to ask, especially considering that Jonah's actions of rebellion affected not only Jonah and his relationship with the Lord, but affected all those guys on the boat. 
So we didn't do, what did we do to deserve this? <laughs> why, why? Why did you do this? I don't necessarily see an answer here from Jonah to these guys, but it's a perfectly legitimate question to be asking because they're all in danger. And that just, it just lets me know that when we have times of rebellion, because we do have times of rebellion, that we need to understand that that doesn't just affect us and our relationship with the Lord, but it affects everybody around us. So it's perfectly acceptable for somebody to ask why I would do something, if, especially if I feared the Lord like I do, because it doesn't affect just me. It affects everybody around us. And sometimes, sometimes we see them ask, we see them ask us, what can we do? What can we do to stop the storm, right? Sometimes, catch this, even a non-believer will ask a believer for advice. How many times? I, I've, I've, yeah, I work on a trash truck, right? Most of you all know this. I work on a trash truck. I work with, um, I think, maybe zero believers other than myself, right? But I've been asked often, what do I do? What do I do in this situation? Look, this is the situation that I'm in, Drew. This is the, what, what would you do? What would you do in this situation? How do I, how do I play this out? You know, and I can, I can easily tell them what I would do. That, that would be easy, right? But I think the Lord would have me go, well, this is what the Lord has to say. And this is how, you know, if, if I'm following the Lord, this is what I'm doing, okay? Because, because that's how I spread the good news of the gospel, is by telling them what the Lord would have me do, right? And say, you know what, maybe try this. How about you go to the Lord, right? The, the, you know, people who are non-believers, it's amazing to me how open people will be when they're faced with a storm in their own lives, how open they will be to receiving the one true God. It's amazing to me. Verse 12, and he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea and then the sea will be calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. I don't know. Uh, Seems a little dramatic, right? It's like, it's like, oh, there's a sea, you know, uh, throw me overboard. If I was Jonah and I really wanted the sea to stop, the first thing that I would think to do is go, hold on, guys. Let me go over here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to the Lord real quick, and, you know, I'll get, this, I'll get this worked out, and the storm will be calm, right? That the first thing I'm not doing is to throw me overboard, right? This is how I believe that Jonah wasn't repentant yet. Because if he was repentant at this point in time, that would be the logical answer, right? It's like, hey, let me, let me talk to the Lord. Let me talk to the Lord right here. And, and I'll get this worked out. But we see, and we will see through this book, that Jonah just has this thing about wanting to die. Like, we're going we're gonna to read that a couple of times. Oh, I just, I'd rather die. I'd rather not live. And this is like, and I think this is just one, another one of those things, right? So it's like, I'd rather die than to, you know, to repent. Now, some say, there are some people who will say, and I'm going to give this all credit because right now I'm admittedly just speculating, right? I'm just speculating. So there are some people that would say, perhaps Jonah wanted to force himself to be 100% dependent on the Lord. So we're going to throw him over. So he has nothing to cling to, nothing to do, except be dependent on the Lord. It's a viable option. I'm not going to, I'm not going to trash it. Um, 
I think that there is probably a better way to handle that. And maybe, maybe the feeling that anything would be better than his continued resistance to running, uh, and running from God. Anything, even throwing me overboard. It's better than, than what I'm feeling right now. And I say, well, again, we're talking about the storm inside of Jonah, right? So there's, there's a couple of different speculative ideas that could be. 13. Nevertheless, the men rode harder to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Now, of course, the men didn't want to throw Jonah overboard. Even as heathens, uh, there's still a little bit of humanity you know, involved. I was like, I don't, want to, I don't want to throw another person overboard, much less a man of God. I mean, they, oh, here, okay, um, God created this storm. God showed us who the, who the guy is. He tells us already that he fears the Lord. We know that he's a man of God. We don't want to kill a man of God. What would God do to us if we were to do this? So no, we're going to row. We're going to try to row, but God's not going to let that happen. God's not going to let these men take Jonah back. Why? Because then Jonah could give credit to these men for taking them back instead of relying on God, right? So the men, you know what? The man of God told us to do it. So before we do it, let's just, let's pray to his God and say, God, please, uh, Jonah's God, please don't hurt us. I mean, your man is telling us to do this and, and we're just trying to find out a way, but we can't do it. And so we're going to call on you, but we're going to ask you not to kill us or hurt us or anything for doing what this man of God said. And then they go ahead and throw him overboard. They took their precautions before they did so. Check this out, though. I'm, I, I'm in love with this verse right here. Verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. I want to make one thing really, really clear here. Jonah never told these men to repent. Jonah never brought a word from the Lord to these men. God did it. God did the work in these men's hearts. God allowed them to see the grace that he has to offer by calming the storms, right? He allowed them to see this stuff, and because they weren't able to see it for themselves, they were able to come and go, all right, we're putting all those, those other gods that, that we were praying to, they didn't do anything for us. They didn't, they didn't create that storm, and they definitely didn't stop the storm, but you did. And so we're going to rededicate ourselves. We're not rededicate. We're going to dedicate our lives to serving the one true God. And Jonah had nothing to do with it. See, this thing about the book of Jonah, Jonah gets a lot of credit. Like, uh, there, was a, there was a statement made that Jonah is probably one of the most successful prophets in the Old Testament. Right? He gets a lot of credit. But 
from what I read, Jonah did jack, all right? Jonah, Jonah maybe did like the bare minimum work, and, and we'll see that next week. He did the bare minimum work. He didn't even do anything here. The only thing he did was run from the Lord and hide out and then finally just go, guys, throw me overboard. That's, that's really all Jonah did. God works in the hearts of men. God does the work. So even when you're sent out there to talk to other people and tell them about the grace of God, don't you dare take credit for it because God is the one who's doing the work, not us. Now, that doesn't mean that we can go out there and be minimalistic about it. Uh, next week, we're going to read that Jonah said eight words to the people of Nineveh. Eight words. <laughs> it's pretty minimal, right? Hey, you know what? Uh, we, could probably be, we could probably be that minimal, right? Because it only takes five words. God loves you very much. You are loved by God. It's the only words that people really need to hear. And then let God do the work in their hearts, right? Now, God does want to use Jonah, you know, uh, which is why he's going through all this, because God wants, God doesn't want to just affect the people of Nineveh. God wants to affect Jonah's heart as well. He wants to affect our heart too. He wants to affect the people's hearts around us, which is why we can go and just say, hey, God loves you very much. I just love the fact that, that God did the work and, re and these sailors repented because of what God did, not because of what Jonah did. 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, note, I want to note that the Lord prepared a great fish. What this means is that the Lord told this fish, hey, um, you need to be here at this point in time. And the fish was obedient. The fish was more obedient than Jonah, right? God told Jonah, you need to be here at this time. And Jonah's like, uh-uh, ain't going to happen. Hey, great fish, you need to be here at this time. He's like, you betcha. Wait, there's food involved? All right, I'm there, right? Okay, the fish is obedient. So God prepares this fish. And there are two things uh, that I wanted to mention. This great fish is just another tool of God's grace. That's what this great fish is. It's a tool of God's grace. And number two uh, is what I said. This fish is more obedient to the Lord than, than even Jonah was. That being said, let's go to chapter 2. I still got a little bit of time here. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Now, it would seem that this particular prayer that he is about to pray, it happens after the three days and three nights, right? Um, this is uh, that, at least this particular prayer. So it made me kind of go, well, what was he doing all that time in the belly of the fish, right? I mean, because honestly, he was running from the Lord. He was sleeping in the boat, right? So maybe he was doing something else in the belly of the fish. Maybe he was uh, sulking. Maybe he was pouting. A lot of people would speculate a lot of different things. But I think this is, this is what I think. 
I think they used crying out to the Lord the entire time. Because I think he started crying out to the Lord before the fish ever even swallowed him. And this is the reason why. The next five verses. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Well, at least we know that he was in the fish long enough to name him. <laughs> Sorry, that was, a, that was a bad joke right there. That's not, that's not true. <laughs> the fish's name wasn't Sheol, okay? <laughs> Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Now he recognizes that it's not necessarily the sailors who would cast him into the deep. But remember what we read in Psalms, like in the uttermost part of the sea, your hand guides me. Your right hand holds me. He's recognizing that God is holding him. God is really the one who tosses him overboard. Maybe he uses the fisherman as a tool, but it's God who's doing that, that work there. And a flood surround me. All of your billows and your waves pass over me. And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. Now, as I read the first five verses of this, I feel like Jonah is giving us a narrative of what he experienced as soon as he was thrown overboard. If we go back and read this again and kind of visualize in our minds what might be going on, uh, this is like... Um, for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas. Now he's in the sea, right? And the waves and the billows are ca crashing over him. And, and, he's, and this, is, this is just what he's experiencing. He says, I've been cast out of your sight, but yet I will look again toward your holy temple. I think, and again, I'm speculating. I think he's describing what's going on after he's being thrown over. And I think that even before the fish actually swallows him up, I think that he tries to purpose himself to face the temple. This is his turn. This is where I believe he repents. Because he's turning to face the temple. He's turning to the Lord, even in this time where he thinks that he's going to die. You know, the Lord's sea, the waves and, and billows are crashing over him. But he's going to turn to the Lord right here. So I think, I think that this is where he repents. Um... Go ahead. Verse six. I went down to the mornings. <clears throat> I went down to the mornings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Okay, check this. Now I don't know a whole lot about giant fish anatomy, but I do know that fish have teeth. Um, we do know that, that there are some whales that, uh, rather than teeth, they have these like hairy things, right? That they're, they're not necessarily teeth. I don't know what they're called. They're just like kind of, I don't know, some kind of weird jowl, hairy things, right? So here's what I'm thinking right here. When he says, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever, that's where I'm thinking, man. I'm thinking teeth. I'm thinking bars, and they're closing, and he's never going to see the earth. Again, they close behind me forever, right? That's what, that's again, my own, my own, as I read this, I visualize this, and that's what I think. Yet you have brought me, you, you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. We saw in the very first verse where God answers him. So even though Jonah's in the belly of this fish, 
Jonah can state with a surety that God will bring him out. Why? Because God's already answered him. He's already answered him. Verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. My prayer went up to you into your holy temple. So because God has already answered Jonah, he can claim with all faith that God will pull him out of his pit. Verse 8, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Here he is comparing his own running away from God to those who worship false idols. Guess what? They both accomplish the same thing, which is ex- nothing, nothing at all. They accomplish nothing. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And while this is a very true statement for each and every one of us, given what Jesus Christ has already done for us, we know that we have salvation in the Lord, and no matter what it is that we've done, God's already forgiven us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, right? So, this statement for Jonah is, is a very, very personal statement. Salvation is of the Lord. These are the reasons why. The Lord has already saved him from the storm. The Lord, you are my salvation. The Lord is, the salvation is in the Lord. He already knows that he will be saved from the belly of the fish, from the pit. The Lord is my salvation. So he can say with uh, a surety and boldness that the Lord is his salvation. He's already saved him. Already saved him. And he will continue to do so. So, verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, once again, here we see that the fish is obedient to the Lord because not only did God prepare the fish to swallow Jonah up at a certain time in a certain place, but then God had to tell the fish to go somewhere just so that he could tell the fish to vomit Jonah up on dry land right? Because the fish can just swim around aimlessly and then vomit just into the sea or whatever. But God told him that he needs to go to a certain place so that he can vomit Jonah up onto dry land. Now, there are some people, I I was reading, uh, Dave Guzik is another Calvary Chapel pastor, and he says, we can't always choose how we will be delivered. Now, that's, that's true. Um, I do think that there are steps that we can take. Like, I honestly think that if, if Jonah had prayed on the ship, that um, God could have delivered him just by calming the seas. They could have rode right back to Joppa, and he'd be on his way to Nineveh. I think that there, there is that. But by the time he's in the belly of the fish, you know, really, there's only two ways out of a belly of a fish. And... Vomiting, I think, is, seems to be the better way out on this, okay? I'm, I'm just saying, I, I mean, they both stink, don't get me wrong, but vomiting, vomiting seems like a, it's a better, a, a better uh, salvation uh, to be on dry land. So uh, let's just keep this in mind. God's grace is always here. We see God's grace even in the first two chapters of this. We see how God is making plans uh, for his grace. God's making plans for his salvation. And, and so even when we are caught up in a storm, let us remember that God has a plan for grace. God has a plan for grace. 
and uh, let's not get too caught up in the troubles of the storm. Rather than, let's just rely on the Lord. Let's not go to sleep. Let's stay alert and just rely on the Lord. And we'll see what the Lord has for Jonah next week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for your plan of action of grace in each one of our lives. God, you know us each by name, and you have a plan for each one of us. God, we know that those are plans are for good and not destruction. God, we thank you for your plan of salvation. Thank you that we can boldly state that you are our salvation. God, we thank you for this. And, and as we go and leave these doors, God, I just ask that you would help us to be bold in sharing the good news. God, sharing the good news of your word and sharing the good news of, your tes- of our testimony of what you've done in our lives. God, I thank you. We worship you, and we just uh, ask that you go with us as we leave now. In Jesus' name, amen. Have an awesome, awesome week.